This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-host and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 45 of the show, and we are brought to you this week by HealthyMoving.com. Healthy Moving is all about exercising less, moving more, and feeling better. Visit healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome or text sorta awesome to 33444 for more information. And we'll be hearing more from Healthy Moving's Jen Hoffman later in today's show. I'm joined this week by the lovely Rebecca of simplyrebecca.com. We got a great listener question asking us about our love for the Voxer app, And that got us thinking about the wonderful ways technology influences our relationships. So today, that's what we are talking about. Online connections and community, keeping up with our loved ones, if we can truly trust anyone in the age of the screenshot, asking permission before tagging someone in a picture, and actually a whole lot more. We have got such a full show for you guys today. Plus, we're going to hear from some of your stories about technology and relationships as well. But first, let's start the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Rebecca, get us started. Hello, everyone. My Awesome of the Week this time is another podcast because everybody needs to add another one to their queue, right? Always, yes. (laughs) Always and forever. So this podcast is called Note to Self, and it's hosted by Manoush Zamarodi. And the way that she describes the show, the tagline is, the show where you and I find balance in the digital age and figure out how to manage modern life. So the podcast itself covers a wide variety of topics, including all things ranging from social media and just digital life and technology and how we manage all of that, as well as etiquette. But I really enjoyed the episode that launched on August 11th of 2015, and it was titled, Should You Post Pictures of Your Kids Online? And you know, as you and I are both moms and both working in the online world. This is a question that we ask ourselves a lot. What are the ethics and what are, what are the consequences of us posting pictures of our kids online? So the question that they answered was from a listener and he said, I wonder if it is right of me to just blindly post picture after picture of my three-year-old's life all over social media. Should I start deleting every picture until he's old enough to give consent? Or is this just what it's like to grow up in a digital world? That's a great question. It's such a good question. And the way that I had originally found out about this podcast in this episode was because on this particular episode, Hillary Frank, who's also the host of The Longest Shortest Time, that's a podcast that we've talked about quite a bit that we really appreciate that covers all aspects of parenting. She was a special guest on this episode for Note to Self. And so it was her, it was Manoush, and it was their producer, Jen. And the three of them kind of had this panel discussion where they talked about all these different aspects of what does it mean? Why are we driven to post pictures? What is this? How is this going to impact our children later on? And I'd have to say that 
they didn't necessarily come to a conclusion like, okay, everybody in the world, this is the answer. We got <laughs> right. it figured out. Right. <laughs> but some of the things that they talked about were just fascinating. They shared some facts. There was a University of Michigan poll from 2015, and it said that three-fourths of parents think that another parent has shared too much information about their child online. That's fascinating. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah we all get a bit judgy sometimes, right? But then we totally. all do it ourselves. Yes, Totally. <laughs> And then in 2010, a study was done that 92% of children in the USA have an online presence by the time they are two years old. Oh, gosh. I totally believe that. Yeah. Exactly. And that number probably has risen now that it's 2016, six years later. So the, the biggest thing that I took out of it was actually a listener response that they got from someone named Megan, who lives in Norway. And I really appreciated the reason why she doesn't post pictures of her kids. Now, I do. And so this is always something that I feel like, oh, should I be doing this? Should I not be? And the reason why Megan chose not to post pictures really resonated with me and made me take pause and think. And so I just want to read a quote from her of what she said. Megan from Norway said, I don't post pictures of my baby online because I imagine that when I post the pictures, I will inject my idea of her personality on her. And she's such a small baby, or maybe even when she's a toddler, over time, she may change. She may want to change. And I don't want all these people that she may run into later in life who are connected to me to assume that they know her because I injected this personality on her at such a young age. That's pretty like, deep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about when you post a picture of your kid, you're like, oh, they're so silly and crazy like all the time. And then they're like, right. <laughs> I don't really want everybody to think that I'm like silly and crazy or, you know, they're so shy or they're so ornery, you know. Yeah. You don't want people to be thinking those things. So I really just liked the idea. Like my personal takeaway from the episode was we should be presenting our children in love and not just our children, but our spouses, our friends, everything that we post online. Can we just can we say that we're doing it in love and with respect that when they go and they look back years later, it ends up being like a beautiful snapshot of our lives rather than, oh, this is tantrum number 25,000 of today. Right. Yeah. You know? I've thought about that a lot. I've actually done a lot of course correction for myself in terms of how I present my kids online. I think early on, I was a lot more likely to do that to, I mean, just to not be respectful of them as human beings, really. So I've done some some correcting of that myself. I do still, there. I'm sure, are pictures and captions that I, if I saw them right now, I'd feel regretful about. But, you know, I, as I've evolved in my own use of social media, I've definitely changed some of that too. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, it was a really interesting a conversation. One. So again, that episode was called Should You Post Pictures of Your Kid Online from the podcast Note to Self. It was published in August 11th of 2015. And then the Note to Self podcast as a whole covers a wide variety of things that really are interesting, such as like how to manage your digital photo clutter or your addiction to your apps. So the podcast as a whole, Note to Self, really has been fascinating. It reminds me a lot of Reply All. So, But tell me now, Megan, wow me with your Awesome of the Week. Okay, my Awesome of the Week this week is a recipe, which, as you know, I don't often bring recipes to the show myself. It's not really my um, the thing that I'm, like, really awesome at. <laughs> <laughs> but this particular recipe has been saving my life a few times a month because it is one of those things that's so easy to throw together especially on those nights when maybe, maybe I accidentally forgot to think about dinner until it was like five o'clock. Oh, no, (laughs) that never happens to you. Never. (laughs) Occasionally, or also often it does. (laughs) So this one is so super easy. It's called Jackpot Crustless Quiche. I found it on the blog, tinykitchen.org. And of course, I will put a link in the show notes to the full recipe. So every now and again, I do get a little distracted and I forget about dinner. And when that happens, we almost always end up eating some kind of version of breakfast for dinner, which I don't know if you guys do breakfast for dinner in your house. That was always a staple when I was growing up. But since we are mostly grain-free in our family, I am always looking for different 
dinner options when you're having breakfast for dinner that go beyond like pancakes or French toast casserole or those types of things. Something that's going to actually fill us up for dinner and that is not going to take very long to put together. So this quiche totally fits the bill because it is just eggs and cream, bacon, spinach, some smoked cheddar, which you cannot go wrong with. And the original recipe calls for throwing in some shredded carrots and scallions. So I made it one time the way the original recipe was written. It was great. Everyone in the family loved it, even the twins, who can be a little picky at times. So I figured we had a winner. Well, the next time I went to make it, we did not have any carrots. So what I did that time and what I have been doing since that time when I make this jackpot quiche is I will first fix up a skillet of what we and my family call butter onions. Now, fancier families might call them like caramelized onions or something like that, but we just call them butter onions. So it's where you take a sweet onion, like a Vidalia onion, you slice it really nice and thin, you melt one whole stick of butter in your skillet, and then you just cook the mess out of those onions. I mean, you just cook them and cook them until they are brown, caramelized, and so delicious. So I cooked those up first. And then instead of the shredded carrots and scallions that the original recipe called for, I threw in my butter onions and that everybody was just lost their mind. I actually cooked some extra butter onions to put on top of the quiche when it came out of the oven for dinner. So it has just been such a super simple, reliable recipe that I've been using so much. You can add like a little simple salad on the side. If your family is into biscuits or dinner rolls or something, you could throw that out there too. I also thought this would be a great little dish to take to a family that maybe has a new baby or they um, are moving or whatever. If you're taking a meal to somebody, it's a great little meal, especially if you're preparing something for a family that is gluten-free because you don't have to worry about adjusting ingredients. It doesn't have any gluten in it to begin with. Fantastic. So yeah. I'm drooling over here. That sounds really good. <laughs> I mean, anything with that much butter. <laughs> it's a lot of butter. You can't go wrong with it. It's so good. And like I said, on those nights when you're just throwing something together, I mean, you just, you literally just mix it all up, pour it in your pie pan, put it in the oven for like 40 minutes and you are good to go. Okay. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show that we got a great listener question about the Voxer app. The Voxer app is something that all four of us, the co-hosts and I, talk about pretty frequently on this show because we all use it extensively in our lives. So this is the question we got from a listener. Question for you ladies. Tell me more about Voxer. I know you all love it. Why do you choose it over texting or calling? We actually just had this question come up in the Facebook Hangout group, too, and a lot of people weighed in. So to back up first just a little bit, in case you are not familiar with the Voxer app, Voxer kind of bills itself as like a walkie-talkie messenger app. So I always say, and I think I've said this on the show before, that Voxer is like voicemail and texting had a baby. You get some of both. You get the convenience of texting and that you don't have a conversation in real time. It's kind of on your own schedule, but then it mostly relies on voices. Now you can text each other and text to your Voxer groups or to whoever you're Voxing with within the app, but mostly it is the voice component. So like voicemail or like a walkie talkie, but again, it does not have to play out in real time. And I know that it's an app that you can find on iPhone. You can find it on Android devices. Lots of people that I know use it, especially a lot of people that work in the online world use Voxer. So that is what we're talking about when we talk about Voxer. Rebecca, I'm going to kind of toss this to you because you are on Voxer as much as I am. What are some of the reasons that you love and use Voxer as much as I do? It is probably my most used app out of all the apps on my phone. And there are so many reasons why I love it. One is because I'm a bit of an external processor. So for me, because of my personality and the way that my brain works, it feels easier and faster for me to tell a story through Voxer and that voice message option rather than doing it through a text message. Because when I think about texting somebody, it's usually something more factual based, like when will you be home for supper? Can you pick up some milk on the way home? But with Voxer, I'm usually more relational and I'm telling a story or I want to communicate feelings and thoughts more. So the second reason why I really like Voxer is because it's more convenient for me. 
particularly as a mom, I'm able to find these pockets of silence throughout my day where maybe that includes me like locking myself away in the bathroom (laughs) in order to do it. But I can leave the message and then I can come back and listen to the response whenever I find another pocket of silence. So it's convenient for me on my schedule as well as I feel like it's I don't have to worry about when I'm calling somebody else if I'm inconveniencing them. I mean, how many times have you heard or have you asked somebody, is now a good time to talk? Right. (laughs) And now you don't have to worry about that with Voxer. And you don't have to worry about somebody talking to their children or scolding them or (laughs) handling a crisis while you're on the phone. It's just 100% adult communication time. It is. And I don't know about your kids. Rebecca, your kids are angels, so they probably don't do this. But when my kids see that I'm on the phone, it is like they lose their minds and all rules go out the window. So yeah, when I'm having a phone call and trying to talk to someone on the phone in real time, I am like, you know, like trying to get people off the counter and tell you're so distracted. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But I'm sure you do not deal with that with your. Oh, yeah, never. (laughs) (laughs) So the number three reason why I really love Voxer is because you can't interrupt the person who's talking. So, you know, we've all had conversations with someone where we couldn't finish a sentence without them stopping us. And on Voxer, you can go on and on and on as long as you want. And the person listening can't stop and interrupt you (laughs) until Voxer will eventually cut you off at 15 minutes. Which so you and that's I as both, long as you can yes. go. You and I both know we've read it up to that 15-minute mark. <laughs> I love it. Those are great reasons. The way I kind of explain it is, it is it's better than voicemail, which most people kind of like really hate their voicemail on their phone or whatever. It is way better than voicemail because it is an actual conversation back and forth. And it's better than a phone call for me, like Rebecca was just saying. I don't have to you know, try to manage my kids' behavior. A lot of times I use Voxer while I am driving. So it'd be like if I was on the phone in the car, but I am just leaving a message for somebody on there. Also, I have talked about before that I have like weird phone phobia. Like I get a lot of phone anxiety. I don't really have social anxiety in face-to-face conversations, but I really super have phone anxiety when I'm trying to have a phone call in real time. So Voxer completely eliminates that for me. And it is better than texting for me because you can really, it's it's somebody's voice. So you can convey your tone, your the little inflections, all of those things that make a conversation so meaningful and so much easier to understand that you really lose in texting. Now I do text quite a bit, But as we all know, tone can be really tricky in texting, even when I'm texting with my sister, who I know probably better than anyone on the planet, and she knows me really well. Sometimes she and I even get a little crossways with each other just because we misunderstood the tone of what the other one was saying. But Voxer, you can hear it in somebody's voice what, you know, like what the mood of the conversation is. So, and I think just for me, it's like more intimate than other kinds of mobile conversation because it is, it's people's voices And there is that fullness of conversation because people have an opportunity to really either externally process or just really drive a point home with their thoughts in their own time frame. So, yeah. Also, the whole aspect of being able to have group chats where you have multiple people on having a conversation. It's just amazing. I'm a huge advocate. I think everybody should give it a try. But I think it's also okay if you try it and it's not for you. Oh, sure, sure. I have some groups chats and I would have to say that the introverts that are in the chats really don't seem to be quite as enthusiastic about it as I am. You know, some people, they don't want to have their best friend talking in their ear all day long. Me? I love that. And I'm always on Voxer driving away the introverts. They're running and screaming away from my phone. It's, ah, it's Rebecca again. So it's okay. It's okay. It really is okay if you don't love it, but by golly, you got to give it a try. It's amazing. Yeah. And you know, that's a great point about the groups. I not only use Voxer just for like for friend conversations, but I'm in a couple of mastermind groups that we only are on Voxer where there's no other component to it except for our Voxer group. We, the sort of awesome co-host team, we have one. We are talking about and working on the show all the time behind the scenes. And, it, and Voxer makes the most sense for us as we talk through a lot of this stuff. So it can be a completely utilitarian use for Voxer as well, particularly when it comes to groups. So yeah, I guess you can kind of 
see why I'm on there a lot. And again, as an extrovert, I always have lots of words for everyone. So <laughs> all the words for all the people right. all the time, <laughs> all the time. That's right. That's right. So it's really been a game changer for a lot of us. But we would love to hear from you. Are you a Voxer fan? Are you a Voxer avoider? We would love to hear your thoughts. And I hope this answers the question about why we do this instead of just texting or calling someone. So Voxer is one way that we keep up with friends and in some cases even build new friendships with people. But Voxer is just one of many, many, oh, so many ways that technology helps us as we are kind of meeting our need for community in the modern age. There are so many other options and so many ways to be involved in friendship, relationship, professional relationships with people, uh, including like message boards, Facebook groups, meetup groups, groups that start online, some groups just stay online, some expand and involve beyond the online medium that they formed in. So Rebecca, I would love to hear from you. Can we just kind of have a history of what your involvement with online communities and groups, those types of things? Where did it start? And and where are you today with all that stuff? It started for me way back in high school, we had this website, it was called opendiary.com. Aha. (laughs) And it was like one of those uh, journal type entries where you could write whatever you wanted and post it online and then people could follow you and leave comments and they would get notified when you would write something new. Kind of like blogging before blogging. Right. Like live journal? Like a similar? Okay. Like live journal. Probably exactly like that. But Open Diary was what was more regional in my area that everybody was into. So that's how, you know, I would interact with friends at school was with what we would write on open diary and then icq yeah the, the chat that was big in my area my <laughs> regional area okay so then in college we would have aol instant messenger and then it was the year after i graduated i think from college when facebook became available you are so i'm just like you're <laughs> not so true? young i can't I, I always forget you're so much younger than oh, i <laughs> you're like staring at me i'm thinking wait am i wrong you're like, holy cow. Rebecca. No, I was just a full grown adult with children when Facebook became available to the public at large. So, <laughs> well, no, because I still had to have an, a university email okay. address. Gotcha. But I still had one for that whole year after I graduated. So I was able to sign up. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Right after I graduated. And so, and then everything morphed into, for me, MySpace and Facebook right. use. Yes. <laughs> and, that's pretty much my story. <laughs> <laughs> but even now, you still have Facebook groups and, and those types of things that you're in, involved in too, right? Yes, most yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Which is how you and I met, actually, which is part of our story that we'll tell later. Um, so that's funny that you were going back to like, even in high school, um, the internet became a thing when I was, it was towards the end of my high school career. I didn't get my first email address till I was a freshman in college. So just to kind of put some context on my own then technology in my own life. Um, I'm trying to think that is so interesting. I forgot about things like AOL instant messenger. That was never, I don't know. That was never really my thing because of course we were, you know, working on dial up and had lots of barriers to technology that we don't have anymore. The first time I can really remember getting involved in online community was way back in 2002, 2003, somewhere in that era. I, uh, was when I went on Weight Watchers, and I don't know if they still have this, but Weight Watchers used to have really super active message boards. You could join a message board, you could join in a variety of like interest levels, like if you were like in your 20s, or if you were a teacher, all different kinds of things, you could kind of find your people who were also doing Weight Watchers and talking about Weight Watchers stuff. So that is the first time I can remember actually registering for and being active on a message board. That kind of paved the way so that by the time I got pregnant with our oldest child in 2004, I joined the message board that was the birth club for women who were due with babies in January of 2005. Now, this was at babycenter.com, and I do know they still have some pretty active message boards over there. 
And it was a huge group, as you can imagine, just a collective of women from all over the world. Well, that message board eventually, as sometimes happens with message boards, because people like a little bit smaller community than that, we a group of about 100 of us spun off from the Baby Center message board and formed our own private message board. That message board group has had a huge role in my life. I have some very long-lasting, deep, connected friendships from that message board going all the way back to 2004. Isn't that amazing? And there was a hundred of you in it? There, it started with a hundred. And then as time went on and families grew and people kind of lost interest, eventually it dwindled down to a, a far smaller number. But when we first decided to leave the Baby Center Forum and start our own group, there was a hundred-ish. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was the last time I can really remember being super active on a message board because by the time that board evolved and became a, a private board, a few years later is when Facebook did become available to the public at large. And I've really seen Facebook groups kind of take over and take the place of message boards in in a lot of ways. Now, there are still plenty of forums out there that are message board like and you know reddit reddit.com is very message board-esque in the way it's run as well so that medium is still thriving for sure but facebook groups have really risen up and met a lot of need for community i think i have to brag on our sort of awesome hangout group it has become one of my favorite stops on facebook and it's just an incredible group because of the people that are in there so there's also meetup and all different kinds of ways that people can connect with others in an online way. And then those friendships kind of just grow from there. A couple of you all have sent in your own stories of how online communities and online connections have changed your life. So let's hear a few of those right now. Hi, this is Valerie in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I have used technology over the years to form and nurture relationships with people all over the world. But my current favorite application is using Voxer with my friends here in our small town. My besties and I have crazy schedules and we hardly ever see each other, but we have absolutely latched onto Voxer as a way to just touch base throughout the day, you know, to to share when we have an extra couple minutes. Hey, this is how I slept or didn't sleep. This is how my husband's driving me crazy. (laughs) This is what I'm thinking. I know we could text, but just hearing each other's voices and being able to hear really the inflection and and what someone is experiencing just gives it that more human touch and it feels like we actually are spending a bit of time together. And that has been awesome to get to spend a little more time with people, even when we don't have time to do it. Hello, Athens. This is Teresa in Oklahoma City. And I just wanted to say about technology that I love FaceTime. FaceTime is the only way that I have been able to keep up with my nephew and my niece and my brother and his wife in South Carolina. We get to see them maybe once a year due to my uh, brother's job. It keeps him very busy. So I've seen them grow up through Facebook, but also in FaceTime where we actually get to speak to each other and look at each other and talk to each other and play little games with them. So um, it keeps our cousins close, my son and daughter, with their cousins. And we love FaceTime around here. This is Lauren from Houston. I have always been a huge fan of technology and the ways that it can help us connect to people and shore up those connections. I met my husband actually online on the OkCupid app, so internet and apps for the win. The first five weeks, we just talked. We didn't meet in person because we lived in different places, so we did that with texting and phone and Skype and email. And then once we met in person, we got together as much as we could, and like he went on vacation with my family and stuff, but we still did tons and tons of texting and Skype all the way through our dating and engaged period, which wasn't very long. We met, and seven and a half months later, we got married. Those were such great stories. I'm so thankful that you all sent those in. And we have a few more stories from other awesomes that we're going to listen to later in the show. But Rebecca, before we move on, I am just so curious as as to your thoughts on this. Why is it, do you think, that these online communities have become such a powerful thing in the lives of people? Like, what does this say about us as human beings, do you think? Well, I think the thing that drives it the most is that 
when you talk about your community and who your core people are, often so it, you're starting with that group from high school. You know, like those are your first original people. And then maybe you go to college and some come and go along the way. And then that's like your next group. But then after that, you're, you're morphing and changing who you are and how you see the world so much. And then those people from high school or those people from college don't necessarily still meet your same worldview or your same values, but you have all that history there. So it's hard to let go of those relationships, even if you're not really jiving so much anymore. But then when you go online, it's so much easier to find people who match that specific part of your personality that you're looking to thrive in. So I feel like real life communities often with the longstanding relationships there's the history there. There's the real life component to that. But then online community is so much more focused into we are similar in these ways, yes. not just because we grew up in the same town or we went to the same school, but we think the same way. Right. Yeah. So I see this especially when it comes to parenthood and that before you have kids, everybody's thinking differently about how they're going to raise their children. And then kids come on board and parenting styles can be very different. And that can be awkward at times. It can be really easy to feel kind of judgy towards your friends and like, oh, why are they treating their kids this way? Or why aren't they disciplining them enough? But then you have the online component where it's like, okay, these people feel and think the same way. And it's so much easier to connect. But then it's also... So fascinating to me that it's easier, I think, to be a good friend online Mm, than in real life. That's a great point. Yeah. You know, like it's so much easier to promote the good in yourself and to hide the bad. And especially the physical distance can also separate you from that real life darkness that can be happening in people's lives, like times of grief or depression or illness. It's harder to actually step in and be light to people during those times. Right. you're just across the country or across the world and you're not physically there in their worlds. So I feel like real life connection, obviously we can't let go of that. You know, all my community is great, but it's irreplaceable in terms of us being able to truly be able to support and connect with people during the good and the bad. That is a super great point. And I think in a lot of ways, it is easier some of these online connections that we make, but that is such a great point that we still crave and need to participate in community, even if that means mixing it up with people whose beliefs on a variety of topics are totally different from ours, who do things differently than we do. That's okay. Those are the things that we need in our lives to challenge us, to push us, to grow us. And yeah, just to have that face-to-face human connection. So that's such a great point, Rebecca. I love that. Well, we'll be back with more talk about technology and relationships after this from our sponsor. Hey, awesomes, Jen Hoffman from HealthyMoving.com here. Did you know your body needs a steady dose of movement throughout the day to thrive? This month, I'll be bringing you ideas for how to start to weave more movement into your day so that you can banish aches and pains and feel totally awesome. Today's tip, get off the couch and onto the floor. When you're reading or Netflix binging, the couch allows you to veg out without moving your body for extended periods of time. Not great. But if you move down to the floor, you'll naturally need to change position more frequently. I made a quick video just for Sorta Awesome listeners with some fun ideas for healthy moving that you can do on the floor while you watch TV or read a book. Head over to healthymoving.com slash Sorta Awesome or text Sorta Awesome as one word with no spaces to 33444 to get that video. And we're back. Before the break, we talked about technology and relationships in terms of online connections. And Rebecca, you made a really great point right before the break about how sometimes in the world of online friendship and connections, we can kind of show only our best selves and hide the things that are maybe not the best parts about ourselves. That's such an interesting dynamic because when you are involved in online friendships and connections in whatever medium that is, you have to trust that the people that you're interacting with are, are presenting at least part of their true selves, right? Right. <laughs> so another trust dynamic that I find so fascinating 
is how we communicate in the age of the screenshot. I started thinking about this after I actually, this is going to go back to your awesome of the week, after I listened to an episode of Note to Self that came out last September. On this episode, they interviewed Elon Gale, who is the founder of the Instagram account Texts from Your Ex. So if you're not familiar with Texts from Your Ex, what it is, like I said, it's an Instagram account where all they show on their account are screenshots that people have sent in that show interesting, <laughs> sometimes volatile, often very racy in terms of the language that's used, texts between people who are now broken up. It is a very fascinating account. I completely confess to indulging and spending a lot of time scrolling through their feed because it's so, it's just so fascinating to me, the things that we're willing to say to each other in these digital ways when somebody can easily screenshot it and pass it along to anyone else, including an Instagram account that has millions of followers. So Rebecca, I know you listened to that episode too and found it to be equally as fascinating as I did. Exactly. Yes. So one quote that I pulled out from Elon Gale from that episode that I thought was truly fascinating. He said, you've never had an interesting text conversation that hasn't been screenshotted and sent to 10 people. That's just what people do. And isn't that thought just like terrifying? Yes. It makes you want to pee your pants. That I mean, is, yeah, that's what I was talking about. When he said that on that show, I was like, oh my gosh, I actually have never thought about that. <laughs> now, that's not to say that I haven't screenshot an interesting conversation and sent it along, but I'd never really thought about how vulnerable we make ourselves when we are texting or whatever. And it actually, it reminded me so much, even though we're sort of in this new age of how we communicate with each other, it reminded me of something my mother always used to tell me when I was a kid. I can remember specifically one time I was upset crying at home because I had written a note to another girl talking trash about another friend of ours. <laughs> That's just the kind of kid I was, I guess, <laughs> in the way that you talk trash when you're in elementary school. Anyway, the friend to whom I had passed the note passed that note to the girl I was talking about. And of course, it became a whole thing. This was back in elementary school. So these kinds of drama about how we uh, talk to and about each other, these have been around forever. My mother told me then, never write anything down that you would not want everyone to read. And those words have really stuck with me through the years. And here they are coming back to life in the context of what we text to each other, which I just think is so interesting and so fascinating. Well, that's fantastic advice. But in today's day and age, do you think it's even practical that you can really truly carry that out? I don't know. I don't I mean, know. I mean, it really makes you think about, can I really and truly trust the person that I am texting this to. It's a huge step of trust that I think is even bigger than what the trust that we used to have when we were writing notes to each other, pen and paper, back in elementary school and in junior high. I mean, I think you probably do need to identify those key people in your life where you're like, I can tell them anything in any form of media. And like my husband, like he is not going to right. reveal my deep, dark secrets through my text messages. But yes, you do need to certainly, I mean, with what we do online, this is available for anybody. We need to think that anybody could be hearing the words that you and I are sharing to each other right now. I know, I know. And the other thing too that I have often thought about is, let's take the medium of Facebook, for example. Facebook has obviously a lot of public features to it, but there are some private features too. There are secret groups and closed groups. There is messaging on Facebook which we think to ourselves, oh, it's okay to say this here because this is private. But I mean, honestly, those things can, you can screenshot those just as easily as anything else. And also, this is something I, I really do worry about. Like, how much can we trust Facebook to keep <laughs> those communications actually private? Now, I am not a conspiracy theorist when it comes to Facebook, although there are plenty of <laughs> conspiracy theories out there about what Facebook really knows about you. But Rebecca, it does give me pause. 
when I think about it, it gives about, me zero pause. I really, <laughs> I never ever think about you that. You don't worry about that, or like no, or I've even heard that like if you type something in the comments but then delete it, that it can still track your keystrokes. Yeah. I don't think about those things. Well, I really don't. You trust them more than I do, I think. Okay, well, that was just one of the interesting things that Elon Gale said in that episode of Note to Self. And Rebecca, I think you jotted down another kind of thought-provoking thing that he said. Yes, Elon said, even though we treat relationships more casually because of text messages and the way that we communicate, you have to actually trust people more to be open and honest with them because your entire personal lives are on their phone, on their Apple Watch, or on their unguarded computer. And basically he's saying, even if you trust the person that you're texting to, who's not to say that somebody's going to come along, pick up their phone, and that person is going to expose all your secrets. Right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I really thought about what he said on that episode because I am trusting, I think, to a fault when it comes to this stuff. I had never even thought, oh my gosh, that all of this stuff that I'm saying to this friend of mine is totally, it lives on their phone and it could be shared with anyone just as easily if, as if somebody picked up my phone. So interesting. I don't know that we have a conclusion about this. Throw your phone away. That's obviously the answer. Never use technology ever. <laughs> I just think it is just really interesting that in this age, the age of the screenshot, the age when all of these conversations and communications that we believe to be private are not as private as we maybe think that we are. So we've not only had to learn if and when and how to trust each other in the online age, we've really had to kind of rewrite and reshape what manners and etiquette look like in this day and age. So when you're using technology for communicating with friends or whatever, technology and relationships, the rules have kind of changed. And I realized this later than a lot of my friends. I, for for a long time, like maybe until last year, I had really strict boundaries for myself about when I would text or send someone a Voxer message. I would always try to be thoughtful and mindful of what time zone they're in and what time it is in their time zone. Like, are they, are they trying to get their kids to bed right now? Are they just getting up and eating breakfast? And so I would never text people during those times, Rebecca. And then then it like occurred to me, I'm the only one following these rules. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. Are they eating breakfast? Are they tying their shoes right now? I mean <laughs> What if they're in the bathroom? <laughs> Well, because Rebecca, I've gotten late night texts from you with like links to YouTube videos that I need to go watch. Um, You know, I I do. I get texts all the time. And it really did occur to me like nobody's being rude. It's just that the rules have changed. And I'm like the only one who's still following these old rules of the game. So as we think back, Rebecca, when you were growing up, were there rules in your house about like when you can make phone calls, how long you can be on the phone, those types of things? Oh, yes, most definitely. You did not call somebody after 8 o'clock. And before there were answering machines, I remember counting the number of rings on the other end and knowing when the appropriate time was to hang up. And my number was 7. I would let the phone ring 7 times, Uh and then I would hang up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we have all these like little social norms that are either the rule for your household or maybe within your culture that you grow up in. And they do, they evolve and change over time as technology changes. You know, I can remember, so you mentioned having an answering machine. I can remember when we kind of transitioned from answering machines being the only way that you would know if someone called to when we all begin to have caller ID on our phones. And then once you had caller ID on your phone, did you even have to leave a message or could you just rely on the fact that your number showed up on caller ID and not worry about leaving a message? And you needed to be careful when you were calling somebody who had caller ID that they didn't see you calling five times in a row as you were waiting for them to come home. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So it is interesting to me that these things kind of change and evolve over time. And we all kind of make our own adjustments to 
how much we want to let into our lives, how much technology we want interrupting our lives at certain times. Like when I finally realized I'm the only one following these rules about texting and appropriate times for that is when I started setting do not disturb on my phone. So I set it at eight o'clock at night and I, and it goes off at like five in the morning, I think. So sometimes I will still pick up my phone and check and see if any texts have come in, but it's so nice for me personally, just to have that time where I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm shutting down communication. I'm tuning into real life here and I am not bothered by text coming in, you know, from Rebecca at 11 at night. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> Sending me to YouTube. <laughs> you know, it didn't ever used to bother me. I, my phone was always on silent and I would have it beside my bed, but the the alerts and the vibrations never bothered me until we recently changed our nightstands and now it's louder. Ah, (laughs) And so I've only just recently started turning on do not disturb mode because it actually for the first time ever is starting to wake me up at night. Exactly. Exactly. So, but in general, I don't really have any problems with people. I would still say like calling you is, I still feels like you should call before yeah. maybe nine o'clock, especially with kids and like bedtimes, you know, I'm trying to get the kids in bed. So before that would be great, but I don't have a problem with phone calls usually or text messages. But when I was thinking about this, I was like, well, but all of my stuff is like casual, like just for fun for the most part. But my right. husband, now he uses his phone for work. His personal cell phone number is on his business cards and he's constantly all throughout the day getting phone messages and text messages. And so I asked him about it and what he thought. And for him, he really does not want business-related phone calls or text messages during non-business hours, even even text messages. He says if they're not urgent, save it. Right. Or he says send it in an email because he says for him, it's his own dumb fault for checking his email on like (laughs) – a Saturday afternoon. If right. he doesn't want to be bothered by work, he shouldn't have looked at his email. Right. But it feels like emails are given this grace period of answer this absolutely whenever. Emails aren't super urgent. At least it feels that way in my world right now. And text messages feel like they have more urgency to them. Like you're expected to respond in a timely fashion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. My husband's the same way. His personal cell phone is his business phone. And so he's the same way. He does not like to really take any phone calls after five if he can help it. Now, if he's been trying to get in touch with a client and that's the only time they can call back, that's one thing. But for the most part, I mean, even though he works from home and his personal cell is his work number, he still would like to have some downtime, some off time from work too. So yeah, I think that's another example of how we kind of just make up our own new boundaries and how to, and we figure out how to navigate this stuff. Another thing that is interesting to me is when it comes to posting pictures online, not of our children, but maybe more like of each other. So if you're in an event or a gathering, something like that, and you post something online, deciding whether or not to tag the people, let's say on Facebook or even on Instagram, do you tag those people um, without asking permission? Is that a thing that's okay to do? What do you, where do you kind of land on that, Rebecca? Well, I think when I'm with people and I take a group shot, I usually always try to ask everybody, okay, everybody look at this. Does it look okay? Does everybody feel like they look good? Anybody have a double chin that they're not happy with? You know, <laughs> right. something like that. Because people will notice those little things about themselves. Everybody's uh, like, oh, totally. no, it's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then I feel like if I receive permission verbally like that, then yes, it's totally okay to tag somebody then when I post it. Yeah online. Yeah, it's so interesting. I think that's a great way to do it, Rebecca, really, just to kind of like show the picture, like, is everybody okay with this? Um, I think that is a really respectful way to do it. My husband is super, super private. He does not like pictures online of himself, just like as a like, that's his own personal boundary. And I had taken a picture of him with a, a dear friend of mine who was here over the holidays, they were standing in the kitchen cooking and talking together. And I took a picture of them. And I was like, later, I was like, do you mind if I post this? And he was like, please don't. (laughs) He looked totally fine. It wasn't it was it's like not a vanity thing. He just doesn't like to have pictures of himself on the internet, which some people that are more on that end of the spectrum, than people who are totally okay with it. What is 
so funny to me is when it comes to tagging people in pictures from the past. So for example, last summer was my 20-year high school class reunion. And of course, as it, time gets closer and people are getting more nostalgic, they're getting out pictures from high school and you know posting them and tagging every single person. Then it's like, what if I don't want that tagged of myself for whatever reason? Vanity, mostly. But like, if right. I just don't want that tagged, then it's like awkward. Do I just quietly untag myself and hope nobody notices? So some of these situations can get a little bit sticky. I have my Facebook set up that nobody can post something on my wall without me oh, that's good. approving it. Or not? maybe it's not exactly on my wall, but if they tag me in it, it won't show up in my news feed. Ah. And like then other people being able to see it until I approve it. I and there's idiot? been quite a few that I've hidden <laughs> from my news feed. Am I the only dummy that didn't know you could do that? Probably. <laughs> I'm going to go do that as soon as we stop recording. <laughs> so yeah, so sometimes things can get a little awkward as we learn how to navigate all of this stuff. But even though things can get awkward, even though things can get sticky, the amount of like life-changing relationship that can come into our lives because of technology is so staggering and so fascinating to me. In fact, Rebecca, you got to experience some of the joy of this just in the past few days on a trip that you took to see some friends of ours out in San Diego. Yes, Megan and I originally met because we are in a mastermind group for blogging, meaning that we just we collaborate together. We ask for advice together with other bloggers. Um, and we've started sharing a lot more, even to just of our personal lives. So we've celebrated success together. We have cried together. We have prayed together. And we have been in this group since 2011. Yeah. And it originally was a Google group <laughs> that oh was gosh. done during, e we communicate like back and forth through email. I forgot about that. It was, and yeah. Then we moved to Facebook and it just changed our lives. And so I feel like these women are really, I would consider them like my colleagues, almost like my coworkers and, you know, and sisters in some ways. And we had a little getaway retreat just this past weekend, and several of us were able to get together. And unfortunately, not everybody could come. Megan, you were not there. I was I know, so sad. I know. I hated not being there. So, I mean, because little known fact, or maybe well-known fact, Megan and I have never once seen each other in person. It's true. <laughs> Can you guys believe it? Isn't that so weird? <laughs> it's totally crazy. I'm sitting in my kitchen all the way in Pennsylvania. You're all the way over there in Oklahoma, and we've never, we've never touched. <laughs> I know. I know. But you're one of my closest friends, and we've never been in the same room together. So that is a, actually a pretty cool example of how online friendships can grow and change through the years. Yeah. So when we got together this weekend, it really was amazing how natural it felt. I think because of what I said before of us having like similar worldviews and mindsets and values and hobbies, it really felt so comfortable to be there with these women. It felt like I had known them for years because I had known them for years. I just simply hadn't been in their physical presence. Yeah, it's so cool when you finally do get to get together with people that you have known in one medium for a long time. And then just the joy and the fun of getting together in real life. I've had a couple of experiences like that. In fact, I was talking about that birth club group that started back in 2004 and grew and changed through the years. When we lived in Texas, I regularly got together with a few friends from that group. We all lived in the same area. Uh, the same part of Texas, and we would get together and hang out. And again, some super close friendships came out of that. And then the co-author of the book that I co-wrote and was released back in 2012, Spirit-Led Parenting, my co-author, Laura Oyer, she and I met in that uh, birth club group. We noticed through each other's posts on that message board that we had a similar story. We'd had similar experiences with trying to figure out how to parent our oldest children. And we started emailing each other. This was back, oh gosh, I don't know, 2007, eight range when we really started to talk about how passionately we felt about the message of spirit-led parenting. It wasn't called that back then. And how like maybe we should do something with this thing. So she and I started writing and 
through a long series of events, eventually, years later, got a book deal for that book. And we actually started writing the book together before we had met in real life. Now, during the process of writing, she and her family, they live in Indiana. They drove out to Oklahoma and stayed with my family. And it was wonderful. It was so great to see her and meet her and her kids in in real life, in the flesh. And we worked on the book quite a bit together at that time. But most of that book was written with us emailing drafts back and forth and notes back and forth and those types of things. And all of that came from a birth club message board that started years before that. That is so amazing to me. Such a monumental thing in your life to have published a book and you co-authored it with somebody that you hadn't even physically met yet. I know. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I love it. It's so great. Technology. So great. Good golly. Technology works these days. And also, you know, of the podcast co-host team, like we were just talking about, Rebecca, you and I met in a Facebook group. Laura, I've known since I was 16. So that that friendship is a little bit different, of course. Um, but actually, Laura and I are in, moved in a lot of the same circles. We still move in a lot of the same circles online. And that has really actually provided a lot of depth to our friendship. And then Kelly and I met online through blogging years and years ago. And then we're in a Facebook group together that started out talking about blogging and and evolved from there. And now Kelly and I have met um, a couple of and hung out in real life a couple of times. But all of these friendships that start as one thing, and then you just like find your people like you were talking about, Rebecca, how the online sphere of friendship allows you to really find your people, the people that you really click with that make such a deep impression on your life and and really can change the course of your life in a lot of ways. In fact, we have a few more stories from some of our awesomes talking about how technology has come into their life and changed their life in some pretty incredible ways. Hi, awesomes. My name is Elizabeth and I'm from Michigan. I have so many amazing relationships as a direct result of technology. I'm part of a small, close Facebook group with 15 ladies, half of whom I've never met in person, but I consider them some of my closest and dearest friends. They have been there for me through so much. But my best relationship to happen because of technology is my fiancé, who I met on Match.com in January of 2014. Funny thing is, is my former co-worker had activated my patch profile and was emailing people on my behalf. But when I saw my fiancé's email come through, I knew I wanted to be the one to talk to him. And now the rest is history, and we're getting married in October. Hi, Megan and Rebecca. My name is Laura, and I live in Indiana with my husband, David. David and I met when we were both studying abroad in Germany. I'm from New York, he's from Washington State, and at the end of our study abroad term, I was going back to Oregon to finish college, and he was moving to Indiana to start graduate school. So, we were long distance for two years, and our relationship ran on Skype and Avocado, which is a website for couples. We would even have Skype dates where we made similar meals for dinner, drank the same kind of wine, and sometimes he would send flowers so that we could pretend that we were in a restaurant together. I am super grateful for the ways that technology has helped my relationship with my husband and today helps my relationships with my mom and my friends. Hi, awesomes. My name is Lissy. I have been a faithful listener of the show since last autumn when I first came across it. I live in England and my family is in California and my husband's family is in Ireland. So FaceTime has been a hugely important piece for us in terms of maintaining connection with family between visits. And the sweetest part of that has undoubtedly been the many hours the grandparents have logged with the kids on FaceTime, hanging out with them, engaging with them, playing with them while I get jobs done, reading them bedtime stories. Now that my son is older, he reads, he practices his reading with them over FaceTime. So very, very sweet, precious, important, and making living far away really doable. But what's been special for me over the last few months has been all the groups in my life that are popping up online. So from WhatsApp groups to Facebook messaging groups, I've got my college girlfriends now on a group. So instead of seeing each other every one or two years with very little contact in between, we are checking in regularly about things we've made or where we've been or what's going on. And that feels like a much closer connection with them on a day-to-day basis now, which is so special. I have a small group here in town 
who has one member who's really struggling with a long-term illness. And anytime she's feeling really down or low or struggling, she just pops a message onto our small group's messaging group. And right away, she has loads of responses of encouragement and prayers and thoughts. So I'm really amazed at how technology has brought us groups. For me, it's really been the last few months that this has all popped up. Not the least of which is the Sort of Awesome Hangout group, which is so positive and has totally transformed my desire for Facebook and my love of Facebook. So thank you for all that you do there. May all of you continue to know deepening, life-giving friendship connections through your technology. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for sharing your stories. We always love to hear from you. We love to hear your voices. And those are some great stories that you all shared with us about technology and relationship. Well, Rebecca and I would love to hear from you all anything that you want to tell us about technology and how it has impacted your relationships for the good or maybe for the awkward. (laughs) So Rebecca, remind us where we can find you all around the web. Well, I blog at simplyrebecca.com, and then you can find me everywhere else online by just searching Simply Rebecca, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Okay, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Come talk to us on Facebook in the Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash group slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. The show is also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at pragermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.